Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast from Taylor's Media. I'm Andy Davis. This is episode 12. That's a dozen episodes, and if you've listened to them all, that's nearly six hours of my irritating mumbly scouse drawl. So well done, you. As always, some really interesting guests today. First up, we've got Graham Jackson. He's a retail consultant with a long background in all kinds of retail, but he's best known in this sector for the time he spent at Bell of Northampton. His insight into not just where we are, but what retailers should be doing right now to make the most of their time is invaluable. And then we've got Kevin Carr, the UK sales director at Insincorator. His is a truly global company, so what is it doing to manage the situation, plan for the future, and also get the tone of its messaging right? As always, I'd like to know what you're up to. Get in touch. If you've started any new creative marketing using video or social media, I'd love to share that. Find me on LinkedIn as Andrew Davis at taylorsmedia.com or email me andrewdavis at taylorsmedia.com. That email address is in the episode description. Here's your shameless Taylor's Media plug. We're the publishers of KBB Review, Kitchens, Bedrooms and Bathrooms and Studio Magazines. And today, once again, I want to tell you about our other podcast, the Kitchen and Bathroom Design Podcast. Episode 1 of Season 2 has just come out and it's a really fascinating interview with Adam Thomas. He's the UK's leading expert on accessible design. But you can also binge on over 20 episodes there from season one, covering all kinds of topics related to kitchen and bathroom design, none of which have anything to do with the coronavirus. You can find it by searching kitchen and bathroom design in your podcast app or by going to podcast.kbbreview.com. And I'll put that link in the episode description. Right, let's get the view of a real retail expert here. We're going to talk to Graham Jackson, who's a retail consultant, but he's got plenty of experience in the world of kitchens and bathrooms. So, Graham, hello. Are you there? I am, Andy. How are you? I'm all right, mate. I'm in my loft, sun's shining, so it feels like a very nice day today. Give us a bit of your background, Graham. Let's justify why we're talking to you. I guess I'm described as a seasoned retailer now. I, I grew up in chain stores, moved on to the music industry with Virgin. But for the last 10 to 15 years, I've been in the home industry initially as retail director at Heels of London and then six years as managing director of Bell of Northampton with Fires Kitchens, Bathrooms and a whole lot more. Um, and for the last year and a bit, I've been a retail consultant helping across both suppliers, distributors, uh, and front-end retailers, various projects and uh, strategies. So you're a very experienced guy. You're very good at taking an overview of businesses. But even in all your years doing this, you know, have we ever seen anything like this before? Uh, no, is, is the honest answer. I, I'm chatting to one of my clients last night, and, and um, this is unprecedented. And it, it's made me value certain things more. I mean, even at 58, I, I'm sitting here understanding the value that your family has and your social time you know we've had recessions in the 80s and the early 2000s but this is is life-threatening so it puts a completely different perspective on things yeah one of your jobs is obviously you go into retail environments and you like say do an overview and try and give the owners some direction on where they could be improving i guess they bring you in don't they because they it always helps have a third person's point of view of something that you are personally very close to if you're the actual owner of that business generally i'm I'm brought in by one or two different types of clients. There'll be those that want to grow, but they're not quite sure how. So they are usually energetic, full of ideas, sometimes too many. Uh, and then there's those that want to change or are in need of help to to improve the business in, in a different way. And in both areas, we, we tend to focus mostly on 
making sure they understand their brand properly, their vision, their strategy, their customer, and then putting action plans in place that will actually, you know, pragmatic things, not, not pie-in-the-sky things, that actually will make a difference. Yes, yeah, so this isn't about turnaround job always, is it? This isn't about sort of rescuing companies necessarily. It's about getting them uh, over a plateau. It's about realising ambition as much as it is about rescuing yeah, I think sometimes nowadays, Andy, the, the, I was very lucky in it as a retailer. I grew up in normal retailing, but then I moved into music retailing, videos and games, and, and sort of learned about digital technology much earlier than most retailers my age. And it's that dynamicism in the market and the changing behavior of consumers that sometimes flummoxes retailers. If you've grown up with a bricks and mortar shop, and the only way you've ever sold is by getting customers to come through your door. Well, do you know what? That's much harder nowadays than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Competition is much broader across multiple platforms. And I think sometimes people get confused. And if I do one thing, it's just to help them focus on a few things and do those few things really, really well. Imagine then, and again, this is an utterly unprecedented situation here, but we've got to try and apply some experience and knowledge to what's happening. So imagine that I'm a kitchen and bathroom retailer, I'm Davis Kitchen and Bathrooms, and I'm faced with this current situation. What would you be advising me to do? Look, I think it's easy for me to be um, sat on an ivory tower and preach. I think the first thing people have to do is survive. So... Survival for small uh, independent uh, stores is going to be about cash flow. So it's about uh, talking to your creditors and debtors, ensuring that your landlord is supportive and your, and your bank, making sure that you've <laughs> chased every invoice you possibly can. Um, it's about talking to your clients that you're working with and making sure those clients are familiar with what the situation is, I guess openly and honestly communicated with so that they show some patience and tolerance. Providing the cash flow issue can be managed, I think the most important thing that retail can do is is not disappear. So it's about positioning yourself so that when that when things are more normal than they are now, that you are a visible entity because there's going to be less stores, um, candidly, um, Andy, I, I think across the whole retail spectrum, much as I'd like to think that everyone will survive, I'm not sure that everyone will. So uh, I've been talking to my clients about social media visibility, website visibility, about ensuring that they talk about their brand and about what they're doing and that they're very open, honest and regularly communicating. And then the other thing is try to adapt because the consumer is going to change through this. There's not going to be headlong rushes to mouths afterwards and online quoting, uh, which one of my clients has done brilliantly actually within four weeks will grow the use of, of, of online information, the quality of your website, how you interact with customers online and through social media. All of that is going to grow. So you should be thinking about how you're going to position yourself afterwards. And that's without thinking about things like supply chain and uh, logistics and things of that nature, which are also going to be impacted. Okay, I think a big part of it, I mean, you touched on it there, but I think a big part of it is you know, the stage that everyone is at now is planning you know they've been gifted time and as much as they've been gifted time for all the wrong reasons they have time now to do all those things that they've always meant to get around to do when you have that much time suddenly on your hands it's hard to know where to start with all with that list so where would you start what do you think they should be doing to not only plan for what the immediate aftermath of all this but for the next six to twelve months i tend not to plan as long as 12 months nowadays uh, andy i i 
stick to 90 days because things change so quickly. But if you look at it realistically now, if you have time to reassess your brand, then it's about specifically thinking about your brand, who your competitors are, where you operate in the market, what your price ladder is, uh, what makes you different, what what differentiates you. And if you do that and, and really put some thought into it, generally you'll come up with some, some changes, some positive changes you want to make. Um, and those routes to market then are only about communicating that brand. So in, in terms of 90-day planning, I would probably be focusing first and foremost on uh, where I am and, and where I need to be. And where I need to be is going to have to take into account, I think, the fact that post three months, six months, I think consumer behavior will change. And, and the essence of the problem with most KBB retailers has always been embracing digital technology. And those that do it well do it fantastically well, but there's an awful lot out there that could do it much better. Consumers' window nowadays will be sitting and looking at their phone. And that's where I would focus most of my attention at the moment is making sure that the the visibility of my business in, in July, August is, is going to be at the top of the, the market that I operate in and better than my competitors. Obviously, you would say yes to this question, but do you think some retailers should look outside of their own business to get a kind of overview of what it is they're doing? Because I think if you've been running, if you've been running a business for twenty years and it's yours, it's, it's actually quite difficult to define what the business means because it's so embedded in your own DNA that it might be difficult to define necessarily what USPs are or what a personality is or what a brand is because you've you've sat next to it and you're doing it every day. Yeah, I think it's a challenge. I mean, I, my experience at Bell was that some people were open to, to change and and, other, and I was brought in specifically to, to do change there. Others are so loyal to brands and, and products or uh, offers that they, they've ran with for 20 years and they know the characters involved and, and they stop looking. Um, and it's a typical change model, really, of, of denial. Yes, it can be difficult and outside help, you know, regardless of whether it's somebody like me or somebody who's a digital expert, the fundamentals of, of change in changing your business is ask for help. I do it actually frequently in, in terms I run my own business and certain aspects of it I'm not that familiar with. So I pick the phone up and ask people. Creating a vision, having a set of values and understanding the core essence of your brand and the brand identity is a complex thing to do. And if that brand is now much more challenged than it ever has been, particularly if if consumers' behavior changes, then asking for help is a, is a pragmatic thing to do, not a, not a daft thing. Part of the problem is, as you talk about cash flow, it's expensive. External advice can sometimes be very expensive, and therefore it gets pushed down the list of priorities. But actually, it could be seen as an investment in the future rather than in a cost. Yeah, look, normally it gives you a return on investment pretty quickly. Um, I, I mean, I, in terms of investment, most consultants will have their first meeting with people free. Um, and then you work out whether, I mean, the most important thing is empathy. If you get on with the person, then ultimately you're likely to be much more inclusive in the way you work. But if you think of things like growth strategies or restructuring or cost initiatives or managing finance, all of those things have a payback, and, a, and it's a relatively quick payback, if I'm honest. Consultants, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, a, I'm sort of a consultant, I guess, um, but I've worked with lots of consultants. Some have been absolutely outstanding, and some haven't added as much value as I would have hoped. But you pick and choose the people you want to work with. In my opinion, it's impossible if you're a small business owner 
to have the broad knowledge of understanding of every facet of marketing, finance, branding, commercial sales, someone who's come through, say, 20 or 30 years in various different other businesses. So I'd ask personally, it, it makes just absolute common sense to ask. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and, and again, it's that investing in the future rather than thinking about it. it's a direct cost right here and now, particularly at a time when cash might be tight. I mean, do you think, again, you've been in retail a long time, and again, this is all caveated with this is an unprecedented situation, but what a lot of people are saying is that there's going to be a pent-up demand coming out the other side of this, especially because people are going to be stuck at home using their kitchen, using their bathroom, and they're going to be really fed up with it by the time they're allowed out of the house again. Do you sort of subscribe to that view? I have some positivity. One of my absolute views is that home is going to become much more important than people's values. So if you're sat at home with your children or your two French bulldogs, as I am, and family time is becoming much more precious. And I think mortality in this has also given more credence to that as well. So if you therefore work on the basis that people are going to spend more time at home, and if anything, travel is going to suffer, KVB retailers or home retailers have got a real opportunity. Uh, Will there be pent-up demand? I think we mustn't kid ourselves that you know, 80, 90% of the population are furloughed. Independent employees like me have no income at the moment at all. So financially, I think there will be some difficulties over by three months, if this runs for three, four, five months. But there's no doubt at all that people will go shopping. My, my challenge, Andy, would be, are they really going to get in their car having been taught and conditioned for four or five months not to, and rush down to the high street, or are they more likely to do that shopping online initially? Um, And I suspect that the big winners of this will be those that are multi-channel, or at least embrace online in some shape or form, because people are changing behavior, and and that consumer journey is changing as we speak. I mean, I've bought a host of things in the last two weeks. I've had to buy them online. Grocery shopping, all done online. The world is changing, and I think if I'm a single independent kitchen retailer sitting in a remote location at the moment, unless I do something different and make myself unique and and, uh, a reason to be relevant, I could struggle. But as we said, they have the time to think about that now, whereas perhaps they would not have had before. And and that that is the gift, that, that is the bright side of what is a very dark situation. Yeah, and I totally agree. And look, of all the retailing sectors, I think the home retailing, kitchen, bathrooms, furniture, etc., will come out of this um, stronger. And there's also less risk. If you, know, if you just take on board the past, people won't be as comfortable in massive crowds anymore, etc. Um, visiting a kitchen showroom is not like that. Um, but all of those things about CRM, you know, understanding who your client is, uh, all the clients treating them slightly different. I, w- I was very lucky to do uh, six months in a casino um, consultancy. And my gosh, they know their customers well, and they treat every single customer as an individual, and each one gets individual treatment. And I've not seen that as much in the, the, the retail industry as, as it could be taken. But I, I have a feeling that there will be some really, really successful retailers coming out of this in the KBB industry. But it will be those that that sit now and think, how am I going to emerge from this successfully, rather than just dwell too much on the difficulties that the present offers. 
That's a very positive message to end on, I think. But there was one last important question, though, Graham. Right, <laughs> and, I, and I'm asking everybody this. I need to know what your most positive feel-good song is. It's for a feature I call Deserted Kitchen Island Discs. Well, it's it's a song by the Eels, and it's goddamn right, it's a beautiful day. Wow. And I'm sat looking out the window at the sunshine and the bird table, and there's a couple of robins and a, a blue on there, and, and it feels like a beautiful day. Well, that's the most obscure one so far, which I like. <laughs> I'm, <liking that> one. <laughs> I'm going to go away and try, I'm, I'm listen to that again myself. I haven't heard that for years. Okay, well, look, Graham. Uh, Eels are my favourite band, so there you go. Well, they are excellent. I do recommend them too. Okay, Graham, thank you so much for sparing us a little bit of time today. I really appreciate it. We'll catch up with you again soon. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Graham. See you later. Right, let's get the view of another big UK supplier here. This time it's in Syncorator. And down the line here, we've got Kevin Carr, the UK sales director. Hello, Kevin. Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm all right, sir. I'm all right. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Keeping busy. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Now, obviously, we've got kitchen and bathroom people uh, listening to this, so I think everyone will have heard of Insyncorator, but give us an idea of the kind of scale it's at in the UK. Okay, so Insyncorator, we are a US-based business. We are based in Racine, Wisconsin, which is just north of uh, Chicago. We invented the food waste disposal back in 1927, and after a few years of perfecting it, we finally went into full production in 1938. And today, we produce about 7.5 million units throughout the world, flying into about uh, just over 80 countries worldwide. Uh, as you will probably hear, US is the, the, the major uh, country for these products, and over 52% of homes that have one now, and it's still a growing market. You also probably don't realize that we are one of the world's largest hot top manufacturers. In fact, uh, we brought out the first one in 1973 in the USA. So uh, again, we, we're probably one of the first to, to market with the hot top. We have about 1,400 employees, and we were acquired in 1968 by Emerson. They're a global leader in the technology and manufacturing. They have over 130,000 employees, and something like 230 manufacturing locations worldwide. And they are listed on the New York, New York Stock Exchange and turn over approximately $20 billion. Right, so that's not an insubstantial business, that. I'll, I think we can conclude that. How many retailers do you have in the UK? How many outlets do you have? So in terms of retailers, I think we tried to work this out recently. I think overall, I think there's about twelve to 15,000 outlets that we are actually have a presence in uh, in the UK. That's across uh, a number of channels. So quite a, quite a large presence in the UK. So you have a real yeah. finger on the pulse here of what's going on. So what is the current status of you and your business in the UK? So today we are operating normally. So it's business as usual, albeit under quite different circumstances in the fact that we are all working remotely. We're very lucky that we, we're using a third-party logistics company, again, who are operating normally. So as we operate in across a number of channels, we've seen some channels that have, have of course, slowed right down, but other channels have uh, substantially increased. So for us, business is, is as normal as it can be, and we're just looking for other opportunities and assistance where we can in the channels that are not operating quite as normal. The growth here is in presumably online channels, I'm assuming. So online and the e channel, yes, is, is 
basically running as it, as it was previously. And there are some other operators, some other channels that are looking at different different methods and we're trying to assist them where we can to help service their customers as well. Okay, and what kind of procedures have you put in place to help your retailers, particularly the showroom retailers who have had to close? So in terms of help, it's mainly uh, keeping communication going with these guys. So we're using every medium we can to keep in touch with them. All the sales guys are in regular contact with their contacts. So we're just making sure that communication is key at, at this moment in time to to ensure that these guys know that we're there to support them. Whatever they need, we can help and ensuring that you know we, we're getting the message out to them all. I'm going to describe you as a veteran now, Kevin. I hope you don't mind me putting Very that kind. here. Do you detect, as I do, there's a completely different mood about all this compared to, say, 2008? The desire for big brands like yours to help their retailers and to support them where possible is much different than it was, you know, ten or so years ago. I, I agree, and the, the difference then was people were still trading across the channels, and it was a different mindset. Today, people have been told to close their businesses, so we have to think differently. And I think we have to put business to one side for a moment, and it's more collective because we cannot afford businesses to go under. We cannot afford markets to go under. So big businesses and brands like ourselves need to assist, particularly the retail market, the kitchen retail, the, the, the lifeblood of this industry. We have to ensure that we are doing everything we can to keep these guys alive and able to trade no matter what circumstances are thrown at them. And it's our collective responsibility to ensure that happens. You've got quite an interesting opportunity here. I don't want to use the word opportunity very much because it sounds like you're cashing in on something. But obviously lots of people are sat at home. The market penetration of the food waste disposer is, as you say, not as much in the UK as it is somewhere like the US. But with lots of interruptions on waste collection, with no one really knowing when the bin men are coming, you've got a real opportunity here to kind of uh, espouse the the, the benefits of, of what you sell. But how do you do that in a way that doesn't sound like you're you're capitalising on a on a dreadful situation? I agree. Yeah, it's very important we don't use this opportunity to to, to go for the hard sell. So, from our perspective, it's it's always been about communication in in in, in the public domain to show people that there are alternatives to to food waste being left around the house, being left. In, in the bins, and as, as it's well documented, you will be reading that most waste collections now are delayed or cancelled. So getting something like a food waste disposer uh, at the forefront of people's minds, it's just showing them that it, it's a safe, clean, hygienic alternative. And to be honest, it's showing that you can get one for under £100 that can, sh- that, that can really make a huge difference uh, to, to someone's life in terms of food waste and waste in general being left left around to decay, rot, crack vermin, etc. So for us, my marketing team are doing a great job in getting that message out there. And you will see some communications, but again, nothing in there that shows any hard sell. Yeah, and I think that's the bit that a lot of people struggle with, is getting the tone right. And I think until we're over the peak of things... It's a very easy thing to get horribly wrong. 
Absolutely. And to be honest, I, I'm constantly looking online and checking what other people are doing. And it's quite clear that there are very few people trying to take advantage of this moment in time, which is quite refreshing, uh, particularly when business is tough and operators may try and capitalise on that. And it, it, it's refreshing, as I say, that I don't see many people trying to do that. No, but I, th- I think everyone's watching everyone else. And at some point, we just don't know when, at some point a starting gun will fire and then it'll be a bit of a free-for-all. But no one knows when that will be and no one will be to want to be the first person to get it wrong. I, I agree. I think the frustrating uh, part for, for us, particularly in, the, in our sector, is that prior to the lockdown, a lot of us were, were really flying tremendously. I mean, going up to KBB, we, we were having a record year. My, my year starts 1st of October. And it, and KBB, it was a fantastic vibe. So to, for this to hit us, it probably hit us quite hard, quite quickly. So I think most of us just were hoping that we, we get over it quickly and we can get back to some normality fairly quickly and, and, and get back to where we were prior, you know, prior this thing starting. Now the thing that we're talking, the thing we're talking about a lot this week is the fact that the silver lining, if you can call it that, is that people have got time on their hands. They've had a gift of time, and and we're trying to look at what can you do with that time to plan for your business going forward. So, what what kind of things can you do within a big supplier like yours to plan for what comes next? We we have, we have used the time quite wisely, and as you say, we do have a lot of our hands. We have done lots of analytical work. We have done lots of product management work. We have done a lot of planning for various scenarios going forward for the rest of this year and going into next year and the year after. So we, we, we're using it wisely. We, we're also taking a lot of advice from our, from our businesses across the world, particularly from our Asia, Asia colleagues who are obviously a little bit in front of us, who have basically returned back to some kind of normality after the virus fairly quickly. So we're trying to take leads from those. We've also got uh, uh, many, many uh, customers in Italy and Spain who are having it a lot worse than what we are. So we're trying to uh, take some rationale and put two, three, four scenarios together uh, in terms of planning for the next short, medium and long term. I mean, I like the idea that you're doing lots of different variations on it because literally how can you possibly know? So you have to try and anticipate, like, as you say, two, three different scenarios and plan all three at once. Absolutely. Um, I would like to think that most companies are going to have to look at that. From our perspective, we're still quite positive. Our feeling is that somebody who particularly was going to buy a kitchen in February and the beginning of March, I don't think they're going to necessarily put it off if we come back to some kind of normality in in May, for example. I think it may take them a couple of months to get back in, but I still think there'll be that market there that will be will, will still be around. So I, I, I'm always a positive person. I know my business is a positive business, and we think we you know if we can control the controllables, as as the famous saying goes. Then I'm I'm still I'm still very very optimistic. Well, look, that is a very positive message, which I always like to end with. But, of course, Kevin, there is one final question that I need to ask you, and that is, yeah. what is your deserted Kitchen Island disc? I'm an 80s guy, so mine would be my favourite song of all time, would be Tainted Love by Soft Cell. Oh, now, 
That's interesting because I would not I would not count that as a positive song particularly. But it's yeah. a but it's a sing along classic. It's a sing along classic and it's one that I when it comes on the radio, I, I, I about every one of my sort of era will will know all the words and will sing along to it. That is a very good point. Well look, that's a nice one to finish with. So Kevin, thank you for sparing us the time today. I really do appreciate it and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Andrew. Take care. Thanks a lot, mate. A big thank you to Graham Jackson and Kevin Carr. We'll be back very soon with another episode. And don't forget to check out the other podcast, the Kitchen and Bathroom Design Podcast. And please subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And please rate and review us as it helps others find us as well. See you next time.